morning, everyone. I am excited to bring a message to you today. This is actually going to be part two of a message series that we're doing on the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit being the person that Jesus promised after he had risen from the dead. Remember at the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus appeared to his disciples. He proved to him that he really had risen bodily from the grave. And then 40 days later, Jesus took them up onto the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem city. And he said that they needed to go back to Jerusalem after he was going to ascend into heaven to go back to Jerusalem. And he said, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You remember that Jesus promised them. He said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But you, my followers, Jesus is saying, you need to go back to Jerusalem and stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. What a great promise. And we remember last week, that's exactly what the disciples did. Jesus, when he was up on the mountain, uh, the Mount of Olives with them, he was telling them about the power and the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, while he was eating with them, he gave them he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem. So that was like number one command. You're gonna be obedient, you gotta do what Jesus says. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. All in the upper room discourse on the night Jesus was betrayed, he was celebrating Passover and he talked to them a lot about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He said the ministry, the, the Holy Spirit wasn't just going to be with them. The Holy Spirit was going to be in them. And he would empower them to do the ministry that Jesus was calling them to do. So he says, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. John the Baptist baptized with water. Even Jesus was baptized as an example to us all. He says, but you, in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Today in the church calendar is the day of Pentecost. That means today, 2,000 years later, we are still celebrating the coming of the Holy Spirit that happened in Jerusalem that day on a Sunday, 50 days after Passover and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So remember, Jesus, his followers, they were obedient to him. They said, okay, Lord, we can't do this ministry without you. And you said you'd empower us with your spirit. So they went back to Jerusalem, right? And they united together. They were praying together. They were getting prepared for something big. They knew big changes were coming. Something big was coming. They didn't know what it was gonna look like. They didn't know exactly what they were supposed to do, but they knew they needed to be obedient to the Lord and then he would show them their next step. So stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. So then what happened? 10 days later, 10 days later, Jesus said to them, and he gave them this promise. And this, this verse right here is the key to understanding the whole book of Acts, the early history of the, of the church that began in Jerusalem and spread all throughout the Roman Empire. He said, Jesus promised his followers, he said, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So beginning in that city of Jerusalem, something big was going to happen. And they were anticipating that. 
So what was the church's direction from Jesus? What were they supposed to do? Just a reminder, they knew that Jesus was going to give them an invaluable resource, the coming of the Holy Spirit. They knew that the focus of their message was to talk about Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and that God had made Jesus both Lord and Messiah and he authenticated Jesus' identity by raising him bodily from the dead on that first Easter Sunday. And then the scope of their primary task, the disciples, I guarantee it, they didn't know it at the time. They just said, Jerusalem, we're going to reach our own Jewish people right here in Israel. This is going to be amazing. And lots of people are going to come to believe in Jesus as Messiah. That was probably as big a vision as they could imagine at that time. But God had something even bigger because he said, you're going to begin in Jerusalem, but then it's going to spread to Judea, to Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And if you actually read all the way through the book of Acts and get down to chapter 28, the gospel has reached the capital city of the Roman Empire, Rome itself, right there in Italy. So now let's talk about today, the day of Pentecost. This is what we're celebrating today, that anniversary. Here's what the scripture tells us. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Do you see that? They were still being obedient to what the Lord called them to do. They were united together. They were the 12 apostles. There was Jesus's family with Mary and James and Jude. James and Jude are two authors of books in the New Testament. Then there were the, the rest of the followers of Jesus. There were 120 of them. And they were gathered there in the upper room in Jerusalem. They were praying. They were meeting together and anticipating what Jesus's promise was going to look like. And this is how it happened. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Separate little flames of fire that came to rest on each of the followers of Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit came and filled them and empowered them, what happened? It says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages, just as the Spirit enabled them. Wow, the Holy Spirit came, filled them, you know, what they call Holy Ghost power or Holy Spirit power, and they became His witnesses. They started speaking the wonders of God, and it was amazing. And this event was so miraculous and loud that it attracted people from all over Jerusalem. So friends, we're talking about the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit. I want to make it really clear. On that day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it wasn't as if Peter and the rest of the apostles just started standing up and saying, you know, I'm tired of waiting here in Jerusalem. Jesus said the Holy Spirit was going to come. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm getting antsy, and I'm just going to go out in the street and start preaching. If Peter had tried to do that on his own, it would have failed miserably. What was so great about this day of Pentecost, this amazing day when the church was born 2,000 years ago, was that Peter and his friends, uh, the followers of Jesus, they waited. They said, Jesus, we don't know what it's going to look like, but we're waiting on you, and we're praying, and we're anticipating, and we're getting ourselves ready. And that's what we need to do today, because it's possible that Jesus could be uh, calling for a great awakening in the church one more time. He's done it in the past, he did it in the early church, and he can do it anytime he wants to. So just remember these principles. 
The church did not start or grow in its own power. It grew tremendously because the Holy Spirit power came upon the Christ followers. The Christ followers were empowered by the Holy Spirit, and today, as Lisa says, we have the same power of the Holy Spirit indwelling us right now as those early followers had back in the day. So we can call and claim on the Holy Spirit's power to do the work of Christ in our lives and through our lives. Look what happens when Christ's followers are filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, okay, what does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, it says in Ephesians 5, it says, don't be drunk with wine, don't be unduly influenced by alcohol, but be filled with, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit is filling somebody, what does it look like? What is the example that we find in the early church? Well, look at what it says here in verse 11 of Acts 2. It says they were Jews from all over the Roman Empire. Fifteen different regions are mentioned in Acts chapter 2. And, and the people were making this testimony. Even though the apostles were all Galileans, even though they were all Israelites, and they didn't know these other languages, miraculously, the Jews were saying, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in our own languages. And then they asked this question, what does this mean? What does that mean? That these guys would have miraculous power to speak the wonders of God in our own native language. I think that would be remarkable. So then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up. And you remember, Peter wasn't always, you know, bold, courageous Peter. He was for a while, and then he became afraid. On the night Jesus was betrayed, Peter denied Jesus three times. Even after the resurrection, you know, they're waiting on Jesus. They're wondering what's the next step is going to be in the life of the church. And Peter says, you know what? I'm just going to go back to Galilee. I was a fisherman before. I'll just go be a fisherman again. I'm going to go fishing. And all these, all these other guys says, well, we'll go with you. And that's when Jesus appeared to Peter in John chapter 21. And he reinstated Peter to leadership in the church. And so now, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and says, uh, I'm going to tell you what this means. We're not drunk. We're actually filled with the Holy Spirit. And I can tell because there was a prophecy given to the nation of Israel by the prophet Joel hundreds of years ago, and it says in the last days, God would pour out his spirit. Look at this. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And when that happens, what is the reality? It says your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Well, guess what? The 120 followers of Jesus, Peter and the gang and Mary and the family of Jesus and all these other followers, all these other Marys that are mentioned, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking in other languages, the wonders of God. And Peter said, this is a fulfillment of what Joel was saying, that when the Holy Spirit gets poured out, the assembly of God, the church of Jesus Christ, is going to be born. And Peter uh, went on, he went on to say that what the message was. When Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, what did he proclaim? He said, first of all, he proclaimed the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus was God's promised Messiah, that Jesus was betrayed by the Jewish people, and then the Romans 
crucified him and put him to dead. But you know what? He didn't stay dead. He came out of the tomb on the third day. Death could not hold Jesus down. He's alive forevermore. And he holds the keys to the power of death and Hades even right now. The book of Revelation tells us so. So Peter said Jesus is alive. Jesus is now both Lord and Messiah. And the resurrection authenticates who Jesus is. And then he says, well, actually what happens was the Jewish people that were listening to Peter's message, they said, oh my gosh, we crucified the Lord, Messiah. We put him to death. We're in huge trouble with God. How do we, how do we ever get right with God? Peter, what should we do? And Peter says, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to do a 180 from the direction you were going and you need to come back to God and you need to ask him to forgive you. And if you put your trust in Jesus, he will forgive you. And it says near the end of Acts chapter 2, about 3,000 people responded to Peter's message that day. And they were all baptized to signify their pledge of submitting their lives to follow Jesus Christ forever. And the church was born. It was an amazing, amazing event. That was one of the great uh, events of the early church on the day of Pentecost. What are we looking for today? Is there any signs of a great awakening in our society today? You know, we've, we're in the middle of this COVID crisis. We've had 10 weeks now of shutting down and shelter in place. Uh, many, many people who were now stuck at home, all of a sudden they slowed down their, their lives enough to turn up to heaven and to look to God and say, God, are you there? What are you doing in all this? Is there something you want me to know? And they started seeking God. And that's what uh, is, that's what's happening and that's what the church is now taking advantage of because it, in the shelter in place and the online communities, they're exploding. There's more people listening to gospel messages and people speaking like me in church than ever before, that ever showed up live to churches, even on the church's best day. So there's a great advantage here. God could be causing an awakening today. God certainly caused it in America in the past. If you want to go through American history, look in the 1740s and the 1730s in the 13 colonies. There was a, a preacher that came over from England. His name was George Whitfield, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. When he came to Philadelphia, even Benjamin Franklin made, a, made his way out to hear George Whitfield because he wanted to hear this powerful gospel proclamation. George Whitfield combined his efforts with another great preacher from Massachusetts, a man named Jonathan Edwards. And together they served God together and there was a great revival and awakening in the churches in America and the 13 colonies just before the Revolutionary War. That was the first great awakening in America. Well, what happened after that? Right before the Civil War, when half a million Americans on both the Union side in the North, the Confederate side in the South, gave up their lives. Only two years before, God initiated a spiritual awakening and revival that began in New York City. Can you imagine revival breaking out of New York City? Right? The hub of secularism in America, the hub of the COVID crisis right now, well, it certainly happened before. And in a prayer meeting in the fall of 1857, at 12 noon, uh, a man named Jeremiah, he invited other businessmen. He said, if you want to come join me in prayer, we're going to pray. And God started with that. He, he took a hold of a 
evangelist named Charles Finney, and the church grew exponentially in America. You know, Charles Finney, writing back and recollecting those days, he said at its peak during that revival, 50,000 people a week were converting to faith in Jesus Christ just before the Civil War. You know, right now, uh, and by the way, the third one is called the Jesus Movement. This happened in the late 60s all the way up to about 1980 in America. There were other places where revival broke out, but mainly revival was happening right where the hippies were in Southern California. These long-haired hippies wearing their beads and their wild shirts and their sandals are going barefoot. Many thousands of them converted to faith in Jesus Christ. And you know where the hub, you know where the epicenter of this revival was? It was right there in Costa Mesa, Newport Beach, Calvary Chapel with a pastor named Chuck Smith. I always remember him teaching on the radio. His name was Pastor Chuck, and he has the word for you today. He always was so soft-spoken, but he had a low voice, and he was a great Bible teacher. In fact, he brought back teaching the Bible, book by book, word by word, verse by verse, and that has been practiced in a lot of churches even today. Well, uh, in 1980, right at the tail end of that revival in Southern California, there was a young man, he was a senior in high school in Fullerton in Orange County, happened to be me, happened to be with our friend Greg and I, my brother Jeff, and we got invited to go down on a, like a Saturday night to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. We had no idea revival was happening in Orange County. We were just like, hey, something's going on down here at this church. Uh, do you want to come and check it out? And we came and checked it out, and they're playing like rock music with Christian lyrics, and I thought, how does that even go together? And then a guy got up to preach, and he looked like he just jumped out of his wetsuit and put on a pair of board shorts and a shirt, and he stood up there with long hair, and he started talking about how each of us could have a personal relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus. And I remember being on a spiritual search in my life, I remember saying, God, if you're there, I want to know you. God, how, how can I know you? What is life all about? What happens when I die? Well, what is important to live? What are the values in life that I should have? And I wasn't finding any answers until I went down there. And that began my spiritual awakening. That began when I bowed my knee to Jesus and I walked forward and I accepted Christ as my Lord and the leader of my life. And I began to follow him, and that led me to want to go in the ministry, and that leads me to be standing right here before talking with you today. And so friends, that Jesus movement that was happening in Southern California, that swept up a goofy teenager like me and brought me into God's kingdom and many other people. In fact, I've even talked to pastors up here in the Santa Rosa area and some of them got their start down at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa in the Jesus movement in the 1970s. Friends, it's worth thinking about, God, when will you bring about the next great awakening? When and where is it going to happen? I, I want to be ready for it, and I hope you're ready for it. I want to get prepared so that when God is ready to move in a powerful way with his Holy Spirit, we want to be right in the epicenter of what God is doing and how he wants to awaken our community. He's, he's going to awaken our community, but what God usually does first is he awakens his people. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about if you're thinking of what modern day revival looks like. What does it look like? You know what? It, it, 
historically, the pattern has been? The pattern has been revival starts in God's church. It starts in God's people. It starts when God's people get an awareness of God's holiness and His presence and how far they've strayed away from God, how far they've given themselves over to lesser things and to idolatry, how they've started missing out on what the mission and purpose of the church is, which is to seek and to save those who are lost and outside God's family. We get more inwardly focused than outwardly focused and the Holy Spirit fire starts to die in the church. So the first thing God wants to do if he's bringing revival in the church is he wants us, he wants us to repent. He wants us to turn around from our wicked ways. Just like it says in 2 Chronicles 7. If my people who are called by my name. What do we have to do first? We need to humble ourselves and pray. We need to seek his face. And we need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to do a soul search. We need to do what the psalmist says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways. See if there be any wicked way in me. And God, please lead me in the way everlasting. That's the, one of the first major steps of revival. We repent. We start tearing down our idols. We exalt Christ. We value Christ. We, we value Jesus as Lord. He becomes the center of everything we do. We get involved in intercessory prayer. That means not just praying for ourselves, God help me, but we're saying, God, I care about all these other people out there that don't know you. They don't know that you're the source of eternal life and satisfaction and purpose. And I want them to know you, Lord Jesus. So we start praying for other people. We volunteer, we start serving. God, what can I do to shine our light before men so that they can see our good works in our church and glorify God in heaven? And then we start evangelizing. We say, you know what? This, this good news message of Jesus, it's not just for me. It's not even just for my family. It's for everyone. And I'm so excited about what Jesus can do in somebody's life. I can't help but share the good news message. So friends, as we wrap this up, let's talk about action points today. How can we do in our church what the early church did they experience revival, we want to experience the same. We, we follow the model of the early church. Remember what they did? Go, Jesus, go back, stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We join together with God's people in prayer. We do what James 4.10 says, which is humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. We do what 1 John 5.21 says, where he says, little children, guard yourselves, keep yourselves away from idols. Anything that, that takes away God from being first place in your life. Next, we ask the Holy Spirit to come. We ask him to bring revival. We ask him to awaken us, his church. And if he does that, that's how revival's gonna begin. That's how it starts to break out. And then we get so excited about Jesus. It's not just my story. I share my story, what God did in my life. You share your story, what God's doing in your life. And pretty soon, family and friends and coworkers and people on our social media, they're starting to tune in because you're saying, hey, here's a link. Here's how you can listen to the words of eternal life. And you can help them on their spiritual journey find their way back to God. Let's do that together. We do that by praying, and I want us to bow our head for prayer. And right, right before we close our eyes and pray, I just want to remind you of one thing. 
back in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, when Peter was quoting that great prophecy from the prophet Joel, when he said, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all people, men and women, they're all going to prophesy. He said at the end of that quotation of the prophecy, he says this, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Did you know that Paul also grabbed that prophecy from Joel and Paul put it right into his letter to the Romans? And in Romans chapter 10, you're going to recognize this because it says in Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that mean to call on the name of the Lord? In Romans 10 verses 9 to 10, Paul says these words, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you have to be sincere. It's not just words that are coming out of your mouth. You do confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, but you also have to be sincere and genuine in your own heart. And God knows your heart. He knows everything about you and he loves you. And he's calling you to forgiveness and eternal life in his son. And he says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he's the Lord and Messiah, that he's the savior, and you're asking him to be your savior, God's promise is for you. You will be saved. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, Lord of heaven and earth, we come to you today, and first of all, for those who are wanting to make a decision to follow Christ, we say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Lord, I invite you into my heart. You've been knocking sometimes. I, I can think about other times in my life when you've been knocking, but I know you're knocking right now, and I'm going to answer your call, and I'm going to say yes to following you. So forgive me of all my sins, come into my life, and show me what it means to follow you. And I celebrate the, your promise that you said, if I confess you with my mouth, if I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead, you said that I will be saved. So thank you for that promise in my life. Lord, for us who are looking for spiritual awakening and revival to come to Sebastopol, to come to West Sonoma County, to come to, to Northern California and the rest of the country and the world. Lord, we know that you are a great and awesome God. Lord, we know you're Lord of heaven and earth. You always keep your promises. You are always faithful. Lord, we look at our world and we long for your Holy Spirit to come and bring repentance and bring revival in our community today. Lord, you remind us that if we're going to see revival, it begins in the church. It begins with us, and you want us to repent. So, Lord, we turn away from our wicked ways. Lord, we ask you to search our hearts. We humble ourselves before you. Lord, if there's any wicked way in us, if there's anything keeping us from a right relationship with you, if there's anything we're putting in our lives ahead of you, God, please show us, reveal that to us and help us to turn away from it and turn back towards you in humble faith. Lord, keep our lives from idolatry. Check us if we start prioritizing something else over you. Forgive us when we are wayward and disobedient. God, cleanse our hearts, renew us as we humble ourselves before you today. 
And then, Lord, prepare us. God, we want to be ready. If you're going to bring awakening and revival, we want to be prepared. We want to serve you. We want to help you and all those we know to be able to turn to you in saving faith. And so, Lord Jesus, right now, fill us with your Holy Spirit. So we get so excited about how wonderful you are in our lives, and we can't help that but share that with everyone we know. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. We lift them to you in the name of Jesus, our great Savior. Amen.